for launch in three, two, one. Go. This is a dangerous beat that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Seipt. I must be louder. And site expert Stephen Kabitza. If it's a blowout, Monday's podcast is going to be a bummer. But if they win, it's going to be a party. This DJ is so funky, man. Okay, let's go. I'm Stephen Kabitza with the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. I'm joined by Andrew Seipt. We are here recording after the Cleveland Browns lost an overtime game to the Tennessee Titans, a game in which no touchdowns were scored. Andrew, what were your initial thoughts after the loss? I wasn't surprised. It was tough to get behind anything they were really doing offensively. And as we saw early on in the first half, those turnovers really, they do come back to bite you in the scoring zone as we've seen so far this season. It was a 12-9 finish, a sad final score for a game when the weather was all right. And the Tennessee Titans, I'm sure they're happy because they got the win, but their fans have to be a little worried after this game. The big story, well, there's two big stories from this game. We can start with the first one. It's Deshaun Kaiser being benched after throwing two first-half interceptions, including one. I'm not sure if it was in the red zone. The announcers said it was, but I think it was outside of it. We could check on this. But he threw an interception as the team was driving, could have had a chance for a field goal. Instead, momentum killed. It's become, at least for me, anything with inside the 30-yard line, I'm never confident they're going to score a touchdown with him in there. Are you the same way? Yeah, it, it's frustrating to watch because they move the ball so well in between the in between the 30s, like you said, and then as soon as they get down there, they get the yips, and I don't know. It, it, that, at some point, they should just kneel or run the ball three straight times just to, to put some points on the board because try, trying to force these passes into windows where they're not there is is, is frustrating, to say the least. It doesn't make sense to me how this keeps happening every week with these interceptions. It just, I don't, I, I think it's, and I guess naive to say, I don't understand, but how can he keep doing this and keep starting at this point? It's going to be all week is going to be questions about who's starting. Yeah. And And it's only week seven at this point. I mean, I, I written, I wrote him off early on in the season, but Cody Kessler, I'm hoping for anyone that can just not turn the ball over. And I know he had an interception. It was late in the game on a fourth on the, I think on that fourth down, right? Really before the game was out of reach. And just based on last year, his eight, nine game sample size of not turning the ball over compared to Kaiser's six games where he's averaging between two and three turnovers per game. I assume maybe more. You just can't keep putting your team in this situation. And I think Hugh Jackson alluded to that in his press conference as well. So the Browns are now heading to London for a game against the Vikings, and then they have the bye week after. Do you think Kaiser will be starting this Sunday? No, I can't. He, you think it'll be Kessler? To say. I mean, Kessler had the same look as Kevin Hogan did when he came in as a backup. You know, moved the ball relatively well. He had a field goal drive. And then once Joe Thomas was out of there, you know, it kind of – took the air right out of the offensive line. You know, they were getting pressure pretty much whenever they wanted to. It, it's going to be interesting to see how they react to that moving forward, but I, I think at this point you're better off going with a guy who doesn't turn the ball over in the red zone versus a guy like Deshaun Kaiser who has shown to do the opposite. And I know me and you both agree that ideally you don't want to keep pulling your starting quarterback several times this this early in the season. 
but it comes to a point where you have to put the idea of development aside if the guy's just not going to give you a chance to win. And Kessler, the, the frustrating thing about Cody Kessler is he probably was the safest option at the start of the season, even when Osweiler was still here. He was probably the safest option. They didn't even dress him for the first six losses. Hogan gets hurt. Now Kessler comes in, is playing decent after Hogan looked just completely outmatched in Houston, although I think that was play calling. Their defense was better, a lot of things. I'm not being a Hogan apologist, but it was just a bad situation overall. But Kessler comes in now, and he's your, you know, he looks like your best option. Do you think this is going to look really bad for Hugh Jackson? I don't I don't see how it could because there's no option that's been consistent so far. I mean, everything that he's tried to do, every quarterback that he throws back there throws interceptions in the red zone. So if Cody Kessler continues to do it, I bet they go out and try and find somebody that just won't turn the ball over because that's, that's easily the biggest thing holding this team back right now. We saw it again today. We saw it in the jets game. You can't, you just take your team right out of the game when you do those kind of things and you swing the momentum immediately in the opposing team's favor. So originally I had said Kaiser had two first half interceptions. It was one in the first half before halftime and then one right out of the gate in the third quarter. I got those mixed up because that third, <laughs> that second interception was just right away, <clears throat> and then really killed any. I, I wouldn't even say kill momentum. It was all right, guys. You know, second half this game is really close. We could win this. Comes out and does it right after halftime. Just no adjustment. I, I guess you can't really make adjustments to prevent those. Well, it's mechanics. It's mechanics and seeing what the defense is giving you and. I just don't think the game is slowed down enough for him to be able to, to complete passes the way he wants to. I mean, we saw it early on. He was doing everything right, you know, finally utilizing a short passing game with some yard after the catch, utilizing the running backs quickly out of the backfield and putting together semblances of a drive versus the, the three, four, five play three and outs that we so often see. And then all of a sudden, you know, he just <laughs> it comes to an ass grinding halt. And when he turns over the ball and goes right back to the other team, so they just got to find a way to eliminate them. That and the penalties. They're, they're two inexcusable things. The penalties are absurd. There are far too many. The one that they called, they said it was a pick on one of the Browns receivers. I don't believe that was a proper call, or maybe they said the wrong number, but those are getting kind of frustrating because, hey, it's not like the Browns are the only team doing this. This is just a normal football play. I don't understand. But that's not the reason people are frustrated. It's the... Jumping off sides on hard counts, which is, should not happen in the NFL. Even Miles Garrett did it. I believe it was a third and four. He jumped off sides, gives him a first down. It's holdings. It's Isaiah Crowell touching, or not touching, but pushing the face mask on a block. It's little things that, that bad teams do to continue to lose. And that's what having veterans on the team does. You know, they... <laughs> they kind of show you the ropes and, and are able to execute down the stretch when, like, I think, what play was it where I think Duke Johnson had a, a first down and it ended up getting called back and, you know, just plays like that where if you get rid of those penalties, you know, you you maybe you have a better chance to win than forcing overtime and losing subsequently. So it's just a, a multitude of things wrong with this team and, a lot of it is on the players executing, but there's, I think, quite a bit on the head coach as well. And a big thing for Hugh Jackson, not in general, but from this game, was early on, I believe he declined a penalty 
that kept the Titans in field goal range. That was confusing. Uh, why Why did he do that? I, I When it happened, I just went, oh. Like, it just, it was like, it seemed so odd. I just kind of accepted it. But then once, you know, looking at it more, it was, what are you, what are you doing? I, I just didn't understand the reasoning. I, I, but, I mean, one play like that isn't something where it's, you know, you would, I guess, really pile it up for all the reasons people for people who want Hugh Jackson gone, that wouldn't be one of them. But well, it's just I mean, small they, things like that. It cost that them just, three points. So take that as you will. I, I, I understand their <laughs> reasoning why they would want to punt or kick a field goal on fourth down. But why would you get – like what kind of coach just lays down and accepts getting points? That's what I don't understand. If your defense is playing well, why not force them back and try and force a punt versus conceding that you might get three? And they ended up getting three points anyway, but – it's almost like he just doesn't he, – he has this desire to win, but he just makes these calls sometimes that make you scratch your head. I'm slowly coming around more to the idea that I think he needs a coordinator in the type of coordinator like what some teams have where the coach still calls the plays, but the coordinator's doing all the side work, all the scheming. and I mean, they work together on game planning, but just so Hugh Jackson has time to focus on – Strictly had coaching duties. I think he most definitely needs an offensive coordinator. It, we saw this with Pat Shermer. You know, I think it, it granted Pat Shermer and Hugh Jackson are both at different stages in terms of experience. Or were and Pat when Shermer was coach. coming after the lockout too. That was a tricky situation. Yeah, so I, I think it's just a lot to go through as a head coach, and then also be focusing on the game plan. Like he can call plays, that's fine. But how many times have we seen? guys like Mike McCarthy or Ben McAdoo, you know, give up the play calling duties to somebody else and just see a a refreshed game plan. That's not the same stale, like vertical offense with talent that is not suitable for a vertical offense. So I think there's just gotta be some minor tweaks and hopefully this coaching staff is around to either implement those changes or it's going to be a long off season again. And it's odd because Hugh Jackson could just say, they could do what the Giants did for one game. I mean, they'll probably do it going forward. McAdoo gave up play calling. And the only person who really knew was Eli Manning because he was getting the calls. And they said after the game, they told the players. And the players were like, oh, wow, good. Like We should keep doing this. This is way better. And Mac, it's just realizing, hey, we do need a f- refreshed game plan. Maybe we'll get a different set of eyes making the ultimate final decisions because his his assistant coaches could tell Hugh Jackson anything but he might still be stubborn yeah and make a play call my problem with today's game plan was it started well they were doing a lot a lot of short routes that were to Duke Johnson um they were working well and then even though the score was close within three they're airing it out and Kaiser either wildly overthrows or wildly underthrows um and you make a bad interception yeah, I mean, I, I, it's the same thing. I can't. I, we come on here every day on Sunday and talk about the same things that go wrong each week and why this team didn't win. So I, I just don't know what else to do. I, I don't know what Hugh Jackson's got up his sleeve. If anything, at this point, you can tell in his press conference that he's agitated with how this whole thing is unfolding. At some point at this trade deadline, I don't know how they're going to go get a quarterback or anyone that would be viable or more viable than they already have. But it's tough to really stomach the football that's being put out on the offensive side to this point. I think it's interesting how kind of our viewpoints change when we do our episode that is published on Friday compared to this one. 
because even this few days ago, and I mean uh, the week before as well, it's you know we're upset with the front office and with their the players they're picking, and then you have stuff that like in today's game where it comes down to some a lot of penalties, uh, maybe some bad play calling, not properly accepting or declining penalties. And you get, we get mad at the front office, I think, after a game like last week where they just got totally blown out. It's like, this team's no good. But then you have Kaiser getting pulled, Kessler coming in, who was a third-string guy for most of the year. I think these games, games that are close like this one, really drive home kind of the frustration with the coaching staff. And I don't know if it's <laughs> these close losses are good for Hugh Jackson because it highlights the mistakes. Obviously, you want to be close, but... No, it's I don't think it's tough because you're zero and seven, and it seems like it's getting to a point where Jimmy Haslam might be si- sitting in his box, going, "I don't understand those decisions being made." And yeah, it's just not good. I mean, again, Hugh doesn't pick the players, so if it remains to be seen if Deshaun Kaiser was his guy. I mean, he said all along that I'm going to ride with Deshaun through the ups and downs. He's my guy. We're going to go through these growing pains together, and we've seen. Uh, technically three times now that he's been pulled from these games because he just has given them zero chance to win. So do you trust a guy like Hugh Jackson to develop a young quarterback again next year? I mean, it's not going to be a tough pick at the top unless you're considering Saquon Barkley. But, I mean, is this team really going to be in a position to handle another young quarterback that (laughs) – is a is not being there's already one that's not being handled correctly by a, a quarterback whisper. So what are we going to expect with a, a new one? And that's a question that I think is really interesting because it's the answer to it really comes down to Jimmy Haslam and what he, you know, if he thinks that Hugh Jackson's worth it. Because if not, it's whole new group in there most likely. Maybe they'd keep the front office, but it just doesn't make sense. Hugh says one thing, does another thing. I don't know if Jimmy Haslam would care about that because he sees how bad Kaiser's been playing. And even if it, I mean, even if it, it wasn't Hugh Jackson's guy, maybe he never wanted Kaiser. He's, it's just still how it works. The GM gives you players. Other teams. Well, it's like, what, coaches t- what does Hugh Jackson really do in the draft room then? You know, is he, a, did they have any input at all? Like, yeah, they got credit for Miles Garrett. Like they had to push to get Miles Garrett. So Maybe the front office was onto something and that they should have taken a quarterback at number one. I understand how good Miles Garrett is, but again, it's not something as valuable as a quarterback. I mean, look at Mitch. Mitch, how how many completions in the yards did he have? Literally nothing, right? I believe he was four for seven for 107 yards. Four for Two seven. defensive touchdowns for the Bears won the game. Okay, that is a little, it's definitely an That's outlier. Drastic. But if you look at their game plan week to week, I mean, they're just running the ball and putting Mitch in favorable situations. Not they're playing like 1950s, 60s football. Well, they're just not, and they're, they're winning. Not asking him to do too much. And I think the Browns early on asked Kaiser to do all, or Hugh Jackson is asking him to do all of this. And maybe, maybe I think he maybe he's doing it in spite to the front office and saying, "These are the guys you're providing me. I've asked you to get guy X, guy Y. You failed to do so. Now you're putting me with this, and this is what you get." So. Like maybe it's something out of spite or maybe they're just really that bad at picking players. I get the idea of it being out of spite, but I feel like it can't even be out of spite. It's literally just who he has. So it's like he starts Kaiser. I don't think he, he 
doesn't want him to fail, but it lets him fail and goes, okay, I cannot leave him in this game. I, like, I can't leave yeah. him in. And I wonder, I, I, there's just got to be some sort of, like, what is the communication between Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown? So if Hugh truly did want Deshaun Watson and Sashi said, no, we're going to go get Deshaun Kaiser in the second round, like, now how does, is it almost like an I told you so game with the front office? Like, is that... I, is that how that goes? It's tough to ignore, especially when the product on the field is is costing you games. And that's, I mean, the Browns may have got dominated in certain areas, I think, but defensively they played a good game running the ball. If they would have stuck to it a little more, you know, you never know how that ball bounces. But, I mean, it really just boiled down to the quarterback position and the Browns turning the ball over in the scoring zone. And ultimately the main issue is what you said a few sentences ago is, you just got to get wins. The on-field product is the most important thing, and it's going to reach a boiling point where Jimmy Haslam's going to say, what are all these future draft picks doing for me? Mm-hmm. These numbers on a piece of paper, when I see Carson Wentz lighting it up, Deshaun Watson, you name any player that the Browns passed on, which I mean, you could do for any team, but it's the, I don't like that argument. It's because you know it's some teams blow drafts, but the Browns, the Browns had almost Carson every Wentz. draft. The Browns had him, and they chose to trade away the pick, say, and then doubled down and said that he's not a top twenty quarterback. Yeah, and that now, was ridiculous. And now he's a favorite to win the MVP at, at week seven. And the Browns are zero and seven and one and twenty two, you know, since passing up on Carson Wentz. So I think that's just a that's the one thing. If I were Jimmy Haslam, that I would never be able to get over. It's like we got to go back and think about why why did we do this and and how are we going to make up for it whether it's this year or somehow some way it's fine to pass up on a prospect but openly declaring you passed up on him because trust me he's not going to be good so why would you put your reputation on the line and like why would you even say that in general because if he is good it's going to be the first thing people point to it's a no win when your job's on the line yeah it's a no win scenario so if you say that and he's good you look like an idiot if you don't say anything and he's not good everyone says it says you were good for passing up on him anyway so there's no need to gloat so again another head-scratching decision made by this front office and you look at the Brock Osweiler trade the Kenny Britt signing get another underwhelming performance today all this front office has done is just spend money spend Jimmy Haslam's money for a second round draft pick and zero wins so if I'm Jimmy Haslam, I just got to either add somebody to this front office that has some experience because Sashi Brown is not getting it done, obviously. If I was him, I would just sell the team and take my money because I would not want these guys spending my money on this, these ridiculous moves. Well, he's not going to be – he's not out of the woods yet with his pilot flying J either, so we'll have to stay tuned on that front. Back to the game – today it's so hard to talk about these games because i'm still waiting for a win still waiting for that party on monday um really the one of the biggest things that happened today was joe thomas um and his what they're redeeming a triceps injury a tricep injury he left the game and it wasn't obviously when you see any player get hurt it's weird but wasn't it weird seeing joe thomas down on the ground it's, we've never it, seen it no. the last time he hasn't taken a snap was t- Last game of 2006 last with the Browns. So the last time you watched a Browns game without Joe Thomas on the field for a single play was 2006. And he's on the ground clutching his arm. And they said they don't even know his status going forward. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's and the trade deadline's coming up. It's heartbreaking. I, again, I don't think they would have traded him anyway. But again, it's just another 
unfortunate thing to happen. Like, that's the last thing this team needed. And as we saw, it was almost that momentum shift that took the air right out of any comeback hope that they had. You know, they just, once Joe Thomas went out, every like all the pressure just mounted up even more so on Kessler in the pocket. Just wasn't able to put the ball where he wanted to. And unfortunately, they couldn't get it done. But I feel even more bad for Joe Thomas because who knows the extent of that injury. And you never know with, with, uh, Tri- triceps and ligaments up there, you know, it gets uh, gets pretty dicey. Yeah, he just tweeted um, here before 6 o'clock on Sunday, said he's getting an MRI tomorrow, figure it out. But, I mean, man, is this what? something that he would, like, if he has to have surgeries out for the year, is he, you know, retiring for serious injury? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Is this something that you think he could possibly retire over? Given the state that they're also un- winless in the last two years, or one win? I think a, most players would consider retirement, but I think Joe Thomas, the fact that he openly wants to stay in Cleveland and keep playing for this team, I don't think he would. I think he'd be like, you know what, I don't want my career to end like this. But my biggest question and concern going forward is if he's out for any amount of time, what what the heck's going to happen? Because Spencer Drango is getting manhandled today, and they're just going to defenses are going to load up that side of the line. Yeah, it's not going to be good. Whether it's Kessler, whether it's Kaiser, whether it's Hogan, they're going to have to lean on this ground game more than ever now, or at least start to shift the game plan to something where these these passes are going to have to get out real quick. Because I I don't know who's the, like the Vikings are on the schedule. Everson Griffin, he's pretty good. Their defense their defense is pretty nasty in general. So. Um, I don't know if it's finding a guy off waivers. I don't know who is behind Drango on the depth chart, but it's going to be something they're going to have to schematically figure out a way to slow down opposing defenses. And this is a really interesting situation for the Browns because Joe Thomas has been the constant. It's always, oh, you know, this team stinks, but we got Joe Thomas out there. So one of the most important positions in football, we got that one of the best players ever. Now that he's out, that is going to drastically, no matter who's there, drastically affect the games going forward. And really, you think they drop to 0-7. Their offense is sputtering along. And now they lose one of the, arguably the best player to ever play, play left tackle, not just for the Browns, but in general. And that's going to be something that is going to be brought up in articles, previewing the you know future games. But that's, I think that's going to be the number one factor every single game. Yeah, and it it could lead to some nasty blindside hits on Kessler, Kaiser, whoever's out there. It just this. If I were to start a, if there was one point in the season where everything really started to snowball more so than it has already, it's right now. You know, I get that we're zero and is it zero and six or zero and seven now? Zero and seven. Zero and seven. Okay, so we're zero and seven, and our left tackle is out. Our rookie quarterback throws multiple interceptions when he's in the red zone per game. Um, our head coach and front office don't get along. You know, there's just a lot of things in the con column here that don't necessarily add up to a favorable uh, dynamic moving forward the rest of the season. So uh, I, I, <laughs> I I expect a lot more Jason Lock and Four articles outlining some of the things going on in in headquarters to that point it's interesting we brought it up a few weeks ago 
about like the Jason Lockhand four articles or really anyone who writes anything about the Browns that's not it's negative, but at the same time it's almost just doom and gloom, mm-hmm. which they deserve because they're zero seven. But there are going to be more of those articles coming out, and it's Browns fans cannot do the a lot of people do. I don't think me and you really do this. At least I used to. But not anymore. It's you can't say that's not true immediately. No, that's just it's rumors. Do you think that like this place is just one happy? Everyone's smiling, walking around. They are the worst football team. This is arguably even worse than last year, which was the worst season in franchise history, and it's only getting worse. These articles are going to come out. Jimmy Haslam has to read them and try to figure out what's going on because when stuff like this happens and you have Hugh Jackson say he doesn't like the front office and says something to a reporter and just says, you know, not leaking stuff out, but that stuff happens. And it's just going to continue the downhill spiral and it's going to lead to a bad situation. And I know it's coming and now I'm providing the doom and gloom. I don't don't see any way it's going to get better. Well, the only way it gets better is if you win. So I, I, the Vikings next week. I mean, their offense is not anything to write home about. They're five and two. Depends on if. I mean, they played well today against the Ravens, but well, actually, yeah. So maybe I'm maybe I'm full of it. Maybe I'm. They won twenty four to nine. Okay, then yeah, we're probably going to come back from London still winless. It's again. We said it last week. You're just you're you're searching the schedule, trying to look for a game that they might win and. Maybe we thought it was the perfect storm this week with uh, Tennessee coming off Monday night football and having short rest and the Browns being prepared and Deshaun Kaiser being reinvigorated and again let down by the Cleveland Browns. It's tough, too, because we don't have that perspective of someone who's not a Browns fan. We Because we or people say like, oh, they have this is their best remaining chance to win today is against the Titans. Because the Titans, they're a pretty good football team. I don't think any of their fans expected them to lose. No, I, I, I figured they'd score at least a couple more touchdowns than they did. The Browns' defense was actually pretty surprising in this category. I was happy with the way they, they went back to their style in the preseason and bent but didn't break. You know, I think so many times early on in the season, they're giving up touchdowns instead of forcing field goals and make, making it even harder on the offense. And what we saw today is, you know, the Browns were actually in it at halftime. They were in it into the fourth quarter, and they were in it basically, I mean, until the end, until they weren't. But it's just amazing what happens when you at least get, have a little bit stingier of a defense in the red zone and maybe a little less turnover-prone offense in the red zone as well. Looking ahead at the schedule, we have Minnesota next Sunday in London. And then after the bye, at the Lions, going to be a tough one. At home versus the 4-3 and three Jaguars. How, if we can't pass against, like, the Jets, you know, where, are, how many picks are the Jags going to have against the Browns? Deshaun Gibson's going to take two to the house. Oof, I, I don't, I do not envy the quarterback that has to play in that game. And then after the Jags, you got at Cincinnati and then at the Los Angeles Chargers. All right. So maybe the Chargers game will be a pseudo home game for the Browns because the Chargers have no fans. Maybe that'll help them on the road. That seems like their best remaining win because then you have versus the Packers. Brett Hundley will probably be the starter, but still, they're still the Packers. And then versus the Ravens at the Bears on Christmas Eve. Could be the miracle again in 2017. And then at the Steelers on New Year's Eve. That will not be a win. No, and... You know, 
just to, to kind of close the show now that I've got that, the fact that they're probably going to go 0-16 here in my head. Sorry for reading you the schedule. I apologize. We're going to have a top one or two pick. So I ask you, Stephen Kabitza, given the fact that Saquon Barkley absolutely dominated Michigan last night, would you rather have a quarterback at number one or are you taking Saquon Barkley? I would rather have a quarterback. If, as long as Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen doesn't drastically decline, because I, and this, I hate this argument of, because I always get mad at when people do this, but I'm going to do it. So it's when you say, oh, that player wouldn't have succeeded here because the team's so bad. They would have. And I think that applies for That's some players. Mentality. I agree. But in this situation, I'm doing half of it because I don't, th- I think that they need a quarterback more than they need Saquon Barkley. So I think if they get Saquon Barkley and you still have three red zone interceptions a game, it won't matter. Yeah. Even if they run the ball 30 times and say, okay, we got to throw it now, and the quarterback is so <laughs> turnover prone, I think it outweighs yeah. it. I, do, I, I would not argue against a Saquon Barkley pick. I would like it. But I think in general, until the quarterback position's fixed, which you say every week, nothing will change. I don't know, man. I watch that guy. I don't care what pick I'm at. Number one, that guy just scores the ball <laughs> against Michigan, which is one of the best defenses in the country. I think you got to go Saquon Barkley. I, I, Sam, nothing. Sam Darnold hasn't showed me anything this year that's been decent. Josh Rosen's been okay, but and and this is obviously very very premature. But looking at a guy like Cody Kessler, even if Deshaun Kaiser, because again there are, I mean I say this every week, but how many weeks are left in the season? Eight, seven. We got nine nine yeah, games. So there's that many games left. Kaiser can still turn it around. Again, it's not looking good, but. There is still that chance. If someone does figure it out by then and actually get the Browns to a victory, you know, adding a guy like Saquon Barkley definitely does wonders for the offense, looking at examples like Jacksonville and Dallas, just to name a few. A quick sad stat uh, to prove why I would like a quarterback. Um, records as starters, Cody Kessler remains 0-8, lost in relief today. Deshaun Kaiser is now 0-6, Kevin Hogan 0-1. That is the quarterback room we have right now. Oh, the dreaded quarterback room. That's a, that's a great... I would not want to be in there. Guys in there. That's a great group, of guys, great group of guys. Man, that's tough to say. I'm sure they have, I'm sure they have good fun. They seem nice, yeah. but... And I, I want to add this quick, too, because by the time we have our next episode, we'll know who the starter is. I liked the attitude given off by Cody Kessler today was... Trying to get the half-full stadium pumped up. He was completing his passes, which is a very nice thing to do for a Browns quarterback. He never really... And professionals don't do this, but sometimes you could... I mean, I don't believe they do it, but you could see... You could see them pouting or coming on the media and saying things about, like, oh, because he wasn't dressing after he was the starter last year. And he just showed up, was ready to play, came in, had the right attitude, played well, and I'm sure he's going to say all the right things. So if they go with him, the way the season's going... I'm on board. We were on the Kessler train back you in were May on or the June. Train. So. I was not on the Kessler train. Well, I, put, I just put you on retroactively. I'll go edit. <laughs> I, I mean, if he, I, I don't care what I've, my, my preconceived notions are gone. If he doesn't turn the ball over the red zone, sign me up. I'll ride on the Kessler train. At this, I'll take anybody. I want him to get one win as a starter before everyone yep. is fired. Just one. 
On that note, we will be back later this week. We will be talking all things Cody Kessler, unless he is not named the starter, in which case we will be talking all things Deshaun Kaiser. The Browns are flying across the pond, probably leaving soon. I'd hope so they get there and actually adjust. I'm going to forget on Sunday morning. I'm going to wake up at halftime and be like, ah, I can't wait for the Browns. Be like, oh, God, they'll they'll already be down (laughs) 24-0. Yes, we will be back later this week. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and also leave us a review. And as always, thank you for listening.